0: How many of you are excited about studying the Bible today? If you are, say amen. Amen. Philippians chapter number two, verses 12 through 18 is the text, and it's a sermon entitled, The Purpose Poacher. Say, The Purpose Poacher. Say it with me. The Purpose Poacher. For those who are new, we're in the midst of a series studying through the book of Philippians, and what we have begin identifying is this. You, if you're a child of God, have certain inherited rights, certain belongings that are owed to you you own them because God has deeded them to you. It's your inheritance. These are not the physical blessings of the world, gold and silver, property, houses, cars, these sort of things. Instead, it is the spiritual fruit that God gives those who follow him. It is love and joy and peace and patience. These things are already yours if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been born again. They are deeded to you as your inheritance. Here's the problem. There are villains out there attempting to Steal that which is rightfully yours. Ten villains that we've been talking about over the last three weeks. Today, week number four. And each week from the book of Philippians, we've been exposing these villains to the light of truth and telling you how to avoid their thievery of your daily joy. It is true. You should be able to live every day in the light of the joy of the Lord. You should be able to experience happiness, true joy, every day as you would develop an understanding of these 10 villains who steal that joy. Today, from chapter two, the purpose poacher, the fourth villain, robs you of joy by whispering into your ear, your efforts are pointless. You've been working hard, but it's getting nowhere. You're like a hamster in a wheel, you're working extended, Extreme efforts, but you're not really accomplishing what you hope to accomplish, so you should just give up. I'm an 80s baby. Anybody grow up in the 80s like I did? Anybody in the 80s? There we go. A lot of 80s babies. If, if you didn't grow up in the 80s, you're going to have to excuse me for a moment here because we're going to talk about a little bit of 80, 80s baby stuff. got a little nostalgic this week, came across one of the greatest films of all time, a wonderful film, I don't call it a movie, it's a film because it is that good. It's called The Karate Kid, that's right. (laughs) The Karate Kid, fantastic movie, poor kid. Uh, You know, he's just constantly getting beat up, bullied. You know what I mean? Some of you know what it's like, me not so much, but I know you do. And so when I watched this (laughs) when I was a kid, I'm like, I understand daniel son. I do, I really get it. Daniel's son is getting beat up and thrown around, and he's getting thrown into trash cans, not like this has ever happened to me. And so when I saw this story, I thought this is a movie I could get behind because Daniel, if you don't know the story, Daniel sees in his apartment complex a man who knows karate, who knows how to defend himself, Mr. Miyagi. And he says to Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi, could you teach me karate so I can defend myself? And Mr. Miyagi agrees to teach Daniel karate. Well, this is the beginning of the plot. This is exactly what we want. And this is something that a young man like me is leaning in to hear. Mr. Miyagi takes Daniel's son aside and begins to teach him all the ways of karate by telling him, first of all, get on the floor and sand the floor, sand the floor. Sand the floor. How many of you remember this part of the movie? You're watching the movie, and you're like, fantastic. Daniel, sand the floor. Just do what he tells you to do. So he's sanding the floor. All day long, he sands the floor. The next day, he gets up, comes in. He says, teach me karate. And Mr. Miyagi says, now what you do is paint the fence. Paint the fence. Paint the fence. All day long, he paints the fence. Comes back the next day. Mr. Miyagi, are you going to teach me karate now? And the guy says to him, yes, I'll teach you karate. Now what you need to do is wax the car, wax the car, wax the car. After three days of this, Daniel, poor Daniel, is freaking out. You're wasting my time. This is all just a waste of my effort. There's no way I'm moving forward at all. I'm done with you. You ever felt that way? And Mr. Miyagi says something really very interesting to Daniel. He says, Daniel, son, not everything is as it seems. And then one of the greatest moments in cinematic history, he says to him, Daniel, Daniel. Wax the floor. Wax the floor. daniel Paint the fence. Paint the fence. daniel Wax on, wax off. And he's defending himself all over the place. And you're sitting there watching the movie, you're like, (gasps) I now know karate. (laughs) And by the way, I've been told by experts, that is not how karate works at all. Like, not even a little bit at all. But that actually is how life works. This is exactly how life works for the Christian. You see, what God does as your great sensei in heaven is he guides you on a path and he puts specific obstacles in your life and in your way that you think have no relevance to the path you're on. And then you begin to called to do very specific things. And you're thinking to yourself, this is a waste of my time. This is a waste of my effort. I feel like all of this is meaningless. And then he brings you to the moment of your life, the crucible moment that you've been waiting for and that he's been bringing you to. And then suddenly everything clicks in place. God has been preparing you through the meaninglessness of it all, through the pointlessness of it all, so that you could succeed in this moment. That's what today we're talking about and that's what Paul was experiencing. Paul's experiencing in Philippians chapter two something that all of us need to see and that is what you do actually matters. Say it with me. What you do actually matters. Sit Say again, sit again. What you do actually matters. Everything that God has you doing has a very specific purpose. Now I want you to see it in the scripture Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, remember, Paul is the pastor, the preacher, the apostle, the one who is called to send a letter to the church that he helped start in Philippi. And so Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, there my, therefore, my beloved, you, as you have always obeyed, not as my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. That is, keep following Jesus even though I'm not there to look over your shoulder all the time. And by the way, that's a good place to be. As you have been following Jesus, listen, those of you who have been saved at Southern Hills and you've grown here, or maybe you got saved somewhere else and now you arrive in Las Vegas, it's a good place to be where you continue to follow Jesus without somebody constantly looking over your shoulder to check to see if you're following Jesus. That's what he's saying. Now he goes on. Keep following Jesus, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God is slowly changing you. Say that, God is slowly changing me. Say that, God is slowly changing me. It's called the sanctification process. It goes on in verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Not a lot of amens there, just two. Are you like me? Do you have a problem with complaining and grumbling? How many of you are like me? Sometimes you're like, gosh, I'm like you. Sometimes I complain and grumble. Raise your hand. Some of you are like, I will not even raise my hand. That's stupid. I would never. I don't complain and grumble. I don't do that. He goes on. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Do you you ever look at the world and think, man, I live in a crooked and perverse generation? Do you ever feel that way? Okay, so the Bible says, you follow Christ. He is slowly molding you and changing you so that you can be different in this strange world that we live in. It goes on among whom also you shine as lights in the world. That is the darker the world gets, the brighter you will shine. Now he gets to his point or my point in this passage, verse 16. This is incredibly important. Look what it says in verse 16. Holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Oh, my friend, listen to what he says. He says, I want you to hold fast to the truth so that I don't feel like I've wasted my time. What? That's what he says. It's a weird thing to say. He says to the church, hold fast to the word of life that I may rejoice when we all stand before Jesus so that I don't feel like I wasted my time with you. That's a weird thing to say, right? As a parent, do you ever get to a place where you look at your children at 17 and 18 and you're like, I really hope I did not waste my life with you. You know what I mean? That's what Paul's saying to these people. And now we have this brief, moment of insight into the life and the heart and the soul and the mind of the Apostle Paul and how Apostle Paul is feeling toward the Philippians that he may have, well, maybe his efforts were pointless. You know what I think is happening here? I think the fourth villain is whispering into the ear of Paul, you've been wasting your efforts on the Philippians. Do you ever feel Do you ever feel that your exhausting efforts are accomplishing nothing? Do you ever feel that you've become a professional diaper changer, some of you? No, because all of them come at 10.30 or at 11.30. They come later on, they've been sleeping in, they'll come to the next service. Do you ever think to yourself, my 14 year old is going to permanently be an idiot? I mean forever, I mean ever? By the way, I say things like that, and there are grandparents who always get upset. They always come up, they're like, You should not say such things. Children are one. Wonder- for- I love you, but you forget. Children are the devil. They are. They come into your. I love them. I love them, but they're tough. They're a lot of work. You know what, exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you, your children were hit so many years ago, you only remember the good memories, not the bad memories. I pray for you, but please help the rest of us and pray for us. You ever think to yourself that you've been doing everything you can but this relationship is still breaking apart? You ever think to yourself, I'm constantly studying but my grades don't seem to be improving? Do you ever feel like a hamster in a wheel expending tremendous effort but seemingly going nowhere? Listen, listen, this is where the Apostle Paul is at the moment. And we're gonna learn some incredible truths that will help you restore happiness so that you understand the purpose of it all. If you're ready to hear it, can I get an amen? amen? Three possibilities that will restore your joy today. Three possibilities of what you might be going through that can restore your joy by asking the right questions in the right moment. The first question I want you to ask yourself, if you've been feeling like your efforts are pointless, number one possibility, ask this question, is God changing me? Point number one, is God changing me? Will you say it with me, say it with me today, together. Is God changing me? Say it again, say it again. Is God changing me? It might be that your efforts are not pointless. It might be that you're not wasting your time. It might be that God is changing you. And that's the whole point. There's the story of the man and the giant boulder. Do you know the story? Say, I think so, Pastor. As a kid, his name was James, and he had a giant peach. That's a different story, all right? This is the man in a giant boulder. You're thinking of James and the giant peach. The man in the giant boulder look, works this way. There's a man who was asleep in his cabin in the woods, down on the bottom of the side of the hill, with just one road going in and out of his cabin that worked its way up the hill, around the mountain, and down into the valley where the city was. He woke up in the middle of the night, but the sun had not risen, it was bright and shining right there in his room. He wiped the sleep away from his eyes. As he looked up, he saw a bright and shining figure in front of him. It wasn't just an angel, but it wasn't just the angel of the Lord. It was the Lord himself, God, appearing in front of him. And he looked at the shining image and stood immediately and said, what, 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 Why are you here? And the image bearer, God himself, said to the man, Because of the prayer that you prayed last night... The man immediately remembered the prayer that he had prayed the previous night. On his knees, in his cabin, he cried out to God and said, I am your servant. You are my master. To whatever you call me to do, I am willing to obey. The man stood in front of the shining figure and said, Yes, I I said I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. The sun was now cresting over the hillside. Then come outside, my dear servant. The figure took the man outside and stood in front of his cabin, and there in front of the grand hill that led outside to the city, sitting right in the middle of the road was a giant boulder. And God told the man, I want you to go up to the boulder. So the man walked up to the boulder. He said, put your hands on the boulder. He put his hands on the boulder, and he said, now start pushing the boulder. So the man started pushing the boulder. Has God ever asked you to do anything you didn't fully understand? And there he was pushing on the boulder. And God said, no, come on, put your back into it. So he started pushing back into it, trying to push the boulder. He said, now you keep pushing that boulder. He said, okay, Lord, I told you I'd do anything. So he just pushed that boulder as hard as he could. But the more he pushed it, the more he realized he was making no room. And then all of a sudden he thought to himself, I got to ask a question. He turned around to ask a question and the Lord was gone. Gone, called him to do something and then disappeared. Isn't this the way the Lord works sometimes? So he says, Well, that's what the Lord called me to do, so I'm gonna keep doing it. So he started pushing the boulder and he put his shoulder into it. Man, he started getting sweaty, so he took off his outer jacket, threw it on the ground, pushed the boulder. God's gonna call me to push the boulder. I'm gonna push the boulder. We gotta get this boulder out of here. Say so he pushing against the boulder. Suddenly he got so hot and sweaty, he took off his shirt and sure, pushed the boulder as far as he possibly could he kept pushing, but to no avail. It didn't move an inch. All day he sat there pushing that boulder until the sun went down, went back into his cabin, got on his knees and said, God, it didn't go anywhere, but if this is what you're asking me to do, I'll do it in the morning. He went to sleep, got up in the morning, boulder was still there, walked outside, took off his shirt and started pushing against the boulder. The first day turned into three days and three days turned into a week. Every day the sun would rise and every day he was called to push the boulder. Week in and week out turned into month after month. And after six months, finally, the guy was so frustrated because the boulder would not move an inch. He finally called out to God, and God did not respond. But instead, another voice whispered into his ear, you're not accomplishing anything. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your life. He's not even here to watch. So in desperation, that night, after pushing the boulder all day long, he got on his knees before God once again and said, God, I'm ready to give up. you got to help me. I'm not moving this boulder at all. you got to do something. When all of a sudden, the Lord showed up a second time. There the shining figure was, standing in front of the young man. God, you asked me to do it, and I've been doing it, but I'm telling you, I've been trying to move that boulder every day, and it won't move an inch. To which God responded, I never asked you to move the boulder. If I wanted the mover bol- the boulder moved, I would just move the boulder. I asked you to push on the boulder. Well, why would you ask me to push on the boulder if I can't even move it? Nothing is happening. Oh, I disagree, said the Lord. Much is happening. Look down at your hands. And the young man looked down at his hands, and his hands that were once soft as silk were now calloused and rugged. The Lord said, look at your arms and look at your chest. And he looked down and he saw the massive biceps and the chest that he had built. The sinew and the muscles grown. Look at your legs, strong as tree trunks they were. Never had he seen his body in such condition. And he looked up at the Lord and the Lord looked down at him and said, I never asked you to move the boulder. I asked you to push. It wasn't about changing the situation. It was about changing you. Could it be the moment God has been calling you to? It's not about changing the situation. It's about changing you. And instead of giving up on God and stop, and instead of stopping his calling in your life, keep pushing regardless of the perceived momentum. First, is God changing me? Say it with me. Is God changing me? Second question I want you to ask yourself that really can help bring joy back into your life as it relates to purpose and effort. Number two, am I watching too closely? Say that with me. Am I watching too closely? Say it again, say it again. Am I watching too closely? You might be watching too closely. Here's why. Because you may actually be succeeding and you not realize it. Here's why. Because growth is imperceptible. You may be succeeding in what you've been called to do, but it's really hard to tell because you're looking too closely. You're watching too closely. About five or six years ago, I think it was about five or six years ago now, I looked in our backyard, and it was a mess because we had not done any landscaping. And here in Las Vegas, the beauty of our natural surroundings is dirt, and rocks. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? You look in the backyard and it's just dirt and rocks and you're like, okay, what are we gonna do here? And you're like, let's get grass. If you're from somewhere else, you're like, let's put grass. And they're like, that's against the law. And you're like, that's against the law? And they're like, yeah, you put desert landscaping. You put other rocks on top of the rocks, right? And then you put some trees and bushes around. And so we're like, okay, so we called this place and there is a member of our church who owns a landscaping company. His name is Chris and, and I called Chris and I say, hey, Chris, I wanna put some landscaping out. He said, fantastic. So then they walk you through the process of what do you. I it to look like I'm like oh I want palm trees and I want uh, bushes and I want beautiful colorful flowers I want it to look amazing. He's like this is amazing. He showed me like an artist rendering of what it's going to look like and he said it's going to cost this much and I'm like awesome. What can I get for like twenty percent of that cost? And he's like okay uh, and he reworked it and basically you could I didn't know this maybe it, you could basically get pretty much the whole thing but they are all smaller plants, like baby plants. You know what I mean? Like tiny little baby plants. For, so for like, for our little backyard, for like 2,500 bucks, 3,000, something like that, we put back there rocks and a bunch of baby plants. And I remember going out there after ex- that expenditure and I looked around at the rocks and twigs, twigs, they were twigs, they were twigs coming out of the ground. And I remember thinking, that man who goes to our church, he mess he, <laughs> He cheated me, he cheated me, he cheated the pastor. How many of you agree it's not right to cheat in business? Can I get an amen? How many of you also agree it's even worse to cheat the pastor? Can I get an amen, right? Like, that's really messed up, he cheated. I'm like, this is not cool, man. A bunch of sticks and a bunch of like water pipes under the thing, And, and he said, this is what, I called him, I'm like, hey, why you cheat? No, I didn't say that. I said, hey, you know what, and he said, it'll grow, it'll grow, that's what you can afford, it'll grow. So then I go out there. And I'm looking at the bushes. I'm like, let's go. Let's do this. The whole year, nothing happened. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm thinking to the guy, he would sit over here, sat here this morning at 8.30, sits right there. I looked at him, the whole year I'm like, you're a cheat. You're a cheat? I'd sit there, I'd preach. I'm like, this guy's a cheater over here. He gives me a bunch of twigs for $3,000. He said, it'll grow, it'll grow. And by the way, the first spring came around and guess what happened? Nothing, nothing happened. Like four leaves out of one bush grew and I'm like, the guy, I don't know. We're gonna have to get the deacons involved. you know what I mean? Like something is happening and I'm not happy about this. I'm not happy. Year two, spring came. I started seeing a little bit of growth. Just a little bit, but not enough to make me happy. Still angry inside, but as a man, I push the anger down. Just keep it pushed down, right? Then let it blow up while you're in traffic. This is what we do. <laughs> year three, year four. Year four, I go out and I buy miracle Grow. You know miracle Grow? I, I see it. I'm like, Mira- of course, I remember hearing about this. miracle Grow. and I bought these little pods, and I dug around, and I put them in there. I'm like watering. I'm like, now go. Do it. Have you ever tried to watch something grow? It's exhausting. Here's why. Because growth is imperceptible. Do you know why some of us have so little joy? Because we have a, a, a villain in our ear saying, what you're doing is pointless. And it's not pointless, friend. The problem is you've just been watching too closely. Give it some time. You're getting there. Just give it some time. I'm in my fifth, sixth year now, and I walk outside. It's truly, genuinely, you ask Heather. It's one of the joys of my life. I love walking outside now because I look around at the bushes of what they were supposed to be when I bought them. (laughs) They're growing. The trees look good. The flowers are all in. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. I love it. It's just awesome. It's the same thing that happens whenever you watch your children grow or you watch your nephews and nieces grow. Your nephews and nieces show up once a couple times a year and you're like, man, you've really shot up. But you don't see that happening with your children. Why? Because growth is imperceptible. And here's what I'm saying. Some of you have been working on your careers and you're about to give up. Some of you have been working on that relationship you're about to give up. Some of you have been working on your kids and you're about to give up. Some of you have been working on all of these situations in your mind, even your soul care, your spiritual health, your growth as a Christian, and you're like, it's not happening fast enough. The devil is sapping your joy. You should have joy, it's yours. You should live in it daily, happy before God understanding that it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's happening, but it may be happening slowly. I like what John Newton says. Do you know John Newton? Anybody know who John Newton is? He's the creator of the Fig Newton. No, that was somebody else. All right. John Newton, he was a beautiful Christian musician. This is what he said. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not even what I hope to be in another world, but I still am not what I once used to be. How many of you as Christians understand that thought right there? I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I need to be. I'm not what I even hope to be one day, but I'm definitely not what I used to be. It's called growth, friend. Give yourself a break. I want you to say that to me. I need to give myself a break. Say it with me. I need to give myself a break. So what's the possibilities here? Well, here's possibility number one. It could be God that's changing you. And it's not about the situation. God's changing you, not the situation. It could be the situation is changing, but you're watching too closely, and so joy is being sapped out of your life. Or number three, if you're healing the, hearing the villain whisper in your ear that your efforts are pointless. Number three, here it is, here it is. Ask the question, am I a drink offering? Say it with me, am I a drink offering? Say it with me, am I a drink offering? How many of you think, Pastor, I think that's it, I think I'm a drink offering? You say, I have no idea what that means, you're going to have to tell me. What is a drink offering? Well, the apostle Paul brings it up here. Look at what he says in verses 17 and 18 to the Philippians. He begins, remember back in 16, he says, keep following Jesus so I as your apostle don't feel like I've wasted my time on you. Then he says in verse 16, this is really, or 17, fascinating, he says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad And rejoice with you all for the same reason you also are glad and rejoice with me. He said, if I am a drink offering, so be it. I'm still happy. I like how the New Living Translation says it. Look what it says in verse 17 on the screen. But I will rejoice. I will be happy. I will have joy even if I lose my own life being poured out like a drink offering or liquid offering to God. He said, I'm okay with even being a drink offering. And you say, well, Pastor Josh, I have a question. What is a drink offering? It's a good question. (laughs) What is a drink offering? Jacob is where this all begins. Way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number 32, uh, I believe it is. Jacob, the Bible tells us, was out uh, on a journey of sorts. And as on the, he was on this journey, Jacob had to lay down in the middle of the desert one day and he took a stone and he laid his head on the stone to go to sleep. Anybody remember this story? If you do, raise your hand. How many of you, some of you do. If you're not, I'll tell you the story. He laid his head down on this pillow and he woke up in the middle of the night and had a vision of a, of a large staircase going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending back and forth on the, and he, he met with God that night. And when he woke up from this dream, he said, hey, I have found heaven's gate. I have found the house of God. And so he named that place Bethel, which in Hebrew means the house of God. This is the house of God. And to dedicate it, he did something really weird. This is not found in all of the Bible up until this point. He took out a pouch of liquid, oil, and he took the stone And he poured it out on the stone as a liquid offering before God. And he said, I now dedicate this place Bethel, the house of God. Bethel, which is the ancient city there to this day. Bethel, the house of God. It's the first time we see a liquid offering. It's not the last time. Because all throughout Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you see the drink offering." You see, for those of you who don't know, in the Old Testament, there was often sacrifices to God. Sometimes they would take a bowl or a ram or a lamb, and they would sacrifice and burn the offering before God. Sometimes they would take wheat or grain like this. It was called a meal offering, and they would sacrifice it before God. But if you'll study closely, you'll often notice what is often imperceptible to many people, and that is along with the meal offering or the meat offering, there came the drink offering a hen or quart of wine, sometimes a half a hen, sometimes two hens, and it was poured out over the burnt offering. And in doing so, because of the heat of the fire and the heat of the stones, smoke would rise up. And the Bible says that smoke would rise up into the heavens, and God said it became a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord God. He saw those sacrifices not as a waste. He saw those sacrifices as a gift to him. We find it all through the Bible. There was a guy named David one day who was in a cave, and he had three of his best friends who were warriors. And David looked out and said, hey, guys, that's actually where I grew up. See out there, there's a well in Bethlehem. And man, I I love that water. It's the best water in the world. David turns around, walks away, does some other things. He comes back and those three friends went out and ran across enemy lines to go get that water, risk their lives to get that water for David. David gets that water back and he's like, what are you doing? You could have been killed. And they said, but we love you, David. We want you to have this water. And he took the water and the Bible says he does something really weird unless you understand the drink offering. He took the water and he poured it out unto the Lord and said, I will not drink this. This is too valuable for me. It's for God. Now, if anybody saw that, you might be thinking, David, what a waste! If anybody saw the ancient Israelites sacrificing wine to the Lord, you might say, what a waste! If anybody saw Jacob over here pouring out oil in the middle of the desert, people walking by would say, what are you doing? You're wasting that oil. And all of them would have said, oh, friend, it's not a waste when you give something to God. And then you see the Apostle Paul say to the Philippians, Philippians, you better keep walking with Jesus. Don't make me feel like I've wasted my time. And then he says, but I might be a drink offering. Meaning, if all of my efforts poured out on you do nothing for you, but they're an offering to him, I'm actually okay with that. You say, Pastor, I've been working hard on this kid. I've been working hard on this relationship. I've been working hard in this business. I've been working hard in this ministry. It better pay out. Friend, the payout is if God called you to do it and you do it and nothing happens, it is still worth it, even if you're just a drink offering. And suddenly, joy. True, abiding, deep Joy, pastor, what happens if it doesn't get better? It might be a drink offering. Pastor, what happens if I keep working toward the goal and it never realizes in my lifetime your life might be a drink offering? It may never change. Listen to me, Christian. It may never change, and that's okay. That's okay. Joy comes when you understand God's gifts are never wasted. Now, it's one of the three. Say, Pastor, I'm really feeling like my, my efforts are pointless. They're whispering, my efforts are pointless. Well, it's one of three. I guarantee it's one of these three. I think it's one of these three. Either, number one, it could be that God is changing you, so it's not wasted. It, it could be, number two, that it is changing. You're just watching too closely. Chill out. Step back. See what's going on. It's working or it could be that you're a drink offering, or, or even better, it could be all three. And that's what's going on with Paul. Paul was changing himself, the Philippians were actually growing, and in the end, Paul was pouring himself out as a drink offering before God. And it could be true that all three of these are true with you as well. And for me, let me tell you what that gives me, listen to me. That gives me peace, and you know what it helps me do? Smile even when things are not perfect. There's another time, and I'll close, where the drink offering is, is mentioned in the Bible. Do you know where it is? Jesus. Jesus is at the last supper with his disciples, way in the upper room, the night he was betrayed and was going to be crucified and die for the sins of mankind. And if you remember, he took the bread and he held it up and broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Do you remember this part? If you do, say amen. And then the Bible says he took the cup after they had supped, saying, this cup, this is in Luke chapter number 22, He said, this cup is the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. You know, there were all sorts of people who watched Jesus' blood pour that day who must have thought, what a waste. There are many people throughout history who have looked at the death of Jesus Christ and thought, he was a great teacher, a great philosopher. They killed him. What a waste! And Jesus would have said, oh, my dear friend, it wasn't a waste. (laughs) It was an offering to God for the sins of mankind. And every Christian in this room knows one thing, and that is this. Without the shedding of Christ's blood, there is no salvation for our souls. It is through his death, burial, and resurrection upon the cross that we have obtained salvation. What he sacrificed and was a waste to many is the salvation glorious from God to each and every soul. And if you're here today and you've never received the sacrifice of Jesus, you've never repented of your sin and received Jesus as your Savior, I beseech you, my dear friend, repent of your sin and receive Christ as your Savior today. Don't allow his pouring out. To be wasted in your soul. You too can be saved even now. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, what a great truth we've seen in the Scripture today. I believe the same villain that was whispering into the mind of the Apostle Paul is whispering in the mind of every believer that our efforts are wasted that we are not accomplishing what you've called us to accomplish. And, oh, God, my prayer is for my brothers and my sisters in this room that we would be held up in this truth, that what we do, we do for you, that you may be changing us, you may be changing the situation just slowly, and we may just be offering ourselves as a drink offering before you, appearing to be wasted before others. Jesus, Jesus. I pray, Father, you would help us to not give up on the efforts you've called us to, to keep pushing, to keep pushing, knowing that you are the one who will move the builder. Lastly, I pray for my friend in this room, the man or woman here today that may not be yet saved. They're not yet a Christian. I pray that today they would repent of their sin and receive you as Savior. They would humbly call upon you and ask you to save their soul. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.